0: welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And this is me, Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And it is uh, so great uh, to have you uh, listening on any number of platforms. Uh, You know, we're on Blog Talk Radio, we're on uh, Anchor FM, Spotify, and Uh, Apple Podcasting, uh, Google Podcasting, and so many other platforms. And we just thank God for this. Uh, It seems that our audience is growing by leaps and bounds every day, and we just praise God for that. And of course, Sunshine USA is a broadcast dedicated to the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the Word of God. So it is great to have you tuned in on today's program. I want you to Stay tuned, especially as we get to the end of the broadcast, because once again, as I did on the last broadcast, I'm going to be tackling uh, some of your questions. I think you will like that, and uh, (laughs) we'll do that toward the end of the program today. But right now, we want to get back to our Bible study. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and like I say, Mark is the shortest of all the Gospels. And Mark finds himself especially attracted to the big things and the big miracles that Jesus performed. And uh, he was less interested in what Jesus had to say. He didn't ignore what Jesus had to say, but he would put it in very brief form. And then he would focus on the the different miracles that Jesus performed and the, the bigger works that he did. It also appears that Mark was the first of the four gospel writers to actually publish his writings. Amen. Well, uh, we find in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6 and verse 1, which is where uh, today's Bible study is going to begin, uh, we find that Jesus makes a trip to his hometown. He makes a trip to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, uh, many Preachers that I know of say they obviously prefer preaching in their hometown more so than any other town. It's kind of interesting, though, because uh, many preachers say they don't get their best results in their hometown. Usually their best results come in places outside their hometown. And uh, many evangelists have especially noticed noticed this. They might attract far bigger crowds in, in something other than their hometown. And we find that Jesus is going to encounter something very similar. So I want you to get out your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Or I should say the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 in verse 1. And here we read what happens when Jesus comes into his hometown. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, which would be Nazareth, and his disciples were with him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, "Where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which he um, which is given him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? is not the carpenter the son of Mary, and the brother of J- James Joseph Joseph's brother?" Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us, so they were offended at him. Now, notice something very important here. Um, The people in his hometown are clearly astonished at what Jesus has to say. No doubt they had heard about all the miracles and the casting out of demons and the raising of the dead that Jesus had done in other places, And so when they listen to Jesus teach in their synagogue, they are astonished. Now notice, of course, that Jesus is teaching in their synagogue. Bearing in mind the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has not happened yet. That will happen later. And so because of that, they are still under the Old Testament law of Moses. They're not under grace yet. And so we find that Jesus is teaching in their synagogues on Sabbath on the Sabbath. Now, this Sabbath day is actually Saturday, not Sunday. So, whenever somebody refers to the Sabbath day, whether they know it or not, they're actually talking about Saturday and not Sunday. Because Sunday is the first day of the week. It's not the Sabbath day. Sunday is the first day of the week. Amen. So, if you say you know, the Bible tells me not to work on the Sabbath day, then you're really saying the Bible tells me not to work on Saturday, not Sunday. Uh, We find that because of the power of the resurrection later, the day of worship would be moved from Saturday to Sunday. However, However, the prohibition against work did not transfer to the first day of the week. It stayed on the Sabbath. So that's just to show you where we are at this point. But nonetheless, these people in Jesus' hometown, they are astonished. And notice here they make reference to Mary. They make reference to the half-brother and sisters of Jesus. But there is no mention here of Joseph. In fact, they refer to Jesus being the carpenter. Not the son of a carpenter, but the carpenter. Now, the reason for this is because Joseph was no longer living. Uh, Most Bible scholars believe, and I do too, that Jesus uh, probably lost Joseph about the time he was 13 years old. That's probably when Joseph died, when Jesus was about 13 years old. And from age 13 to age 30, uh, Jesus did his earthly ministry. That's where he performed all these miracles, and he healed the sick, and he raised the dead, and he cast out demons. All this took place um, during the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry, from about the time he was 30 to about the time he was 33. From age 13 to 30, he was a carpenter. Now, you have to understand that under Jewish custom, and bearing in mind there's still under Jewish custom, it would have been Jesus, since he was the firstborn, it would have been Jesus' responsibility to financially take care of his mother. And so the thinking is that from age 13 to age 30, Jesus worked as a carpenter and made more than enough money to financially take care of his, her mother, not only then, but for the foreseeable future. Amen. And so by age 30... Jesus is no longer a carpenter, but now he is getting on with the earthly ministry that God has ultimately placed him on this earth to do. Now, (laughs) as you can expect, there is quite a message to the church today in the passage that we have read so far. Uh, We find that if you are a minister you need to realize that no matter what you did before going into the ministry, there will come that time where you actually begin your ministry, and at that point, the ministry will be your only focus as a general rule. Now, some receive, I believe, a special calling to go into bivocational ministry, and maybe someday I will devote one or more broadcasts to the subject of bivocational ministry because I do believe it's a viable ministry. It's a ministry that God is still actively involved in today. And there are some men that are uniquely called of God to serve in bivocational ministry. But for most ministers, there will come that time where you will stop doing whatever you did before you're going into the ministry and you will begin doing the ministry full-time. Uh, Many pastors will talk about what they did in their ministry before they went into the ministry. Some may be flip burgers over at McDonald's. Uh, Some probably worked in a department store, maybe a grocery store. In Jesus' case, he was a carpenter. But then, when it comes time for you to begin your earthly ministry, that is what Jesus wants you to focus on. He wants you to focus on your earthly ministry. Amen. Now, we find that when Jesus comes to Nazareth, his hometown, the people are clearly astonished at what Jesus has to say. They have no doubt heard about all the miracles that Jesus did in other places, but yet, for some reason, they don't believe. They just cannot believe that Jesus is who he claims to be now let's read on a little bit further before I commentate further it says but Jesus said unto them a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house now why would this be now in many cases it's because our friends and relatives they know us better than anybody else They know our faults, they know our strengths, they know our weaknesses, and as a result of that, as a result of that, they um, have decided uh, that maybe they don't take us as seriously as other people. Now, of course, Jesus wouldn't have had that problem, because Jesus, unlike you and me, Jesus was perfect. He had no sins. He was the epitome of sinless perfection. But still we find for Jesus, like for us, he's not well received in his own hometown. In his own hometown, he is not very well received at all. Now let's read a little bit further. And then I'll commentate a little bit further it says now he could not do mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marvelled because of their unbelief they marvel he marvelled because of their unbelief now the indication is here that jesus that jesus um was not able to do In Nazareth what he did in other places simply because of the unbelief of the people and the indication also is he didn't stay all that long in Nazareth he stayed probably less time in Nazareth than other places simply because of their lack of belief now a lot of people will come up to me even these days and they'll say God doesn't seem to be doing miracles in my life like he seems to be doing in the lives of other people why is this And I say always, it could be the result of your lack of faith. Do you really believe that God is who he says he is? Do you really believe that God is going to do for you what you want him to do for you? I'm amazed at how many young men, they go into ministry, but yet they go to the community college and they prepare to do some other things just in case. I heard about one preacher recently that enrolled in a real estate licensing school because he wanted to get his real estate license so that he could have something to fall back on if the ministry didn't work out. And I asked him, I said, well, has God called you into the ministry? He said, oh, yeah. He says, God wants me to be a full-time traveling evangelist. And I said, well, if that's the case, You don't need to be selling houses in your hometown. You know what you need to be doing? You need to be preaching the gospel. You need to be holding revivals and crusades in other cities and other states. You don't need to be involved in a real estate business. Amen. I mean, I'm just being practical here. If you honestly believe that God has called you into the ministry, then I honestly believe that God is going to open up doors for you to do just that. He's going to open up the doors necessary for you to do what he's called you to do. Some of you might say, well, right now I'm, I'm doing construction work, but I'm just waiting on that opportunity to come for me to preach the gospel. And when it comes, I'll quit my construction job and I'll preach about Jesus. Well, the thing about it is... <laughs> The churches that might want you to be a pastor, they're not going to find out about you on the construction site. They're going to find out about you if you make yourself available full-time to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Now, as I say, I think there's a time and a place for bivocational ministry. I believe that with all of my heart. And one of the reasons I believe that is because a lot of my own life has been bivocational. But now I'm at that point in my life where I'm not bivocational anymore because I don't do secular work anymore. I devote myself fully and completely to the task of preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm on Anchor FM and Blog Talk Radio and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasting. I do all of this simply because of the fact that God has called me full-time into the gospel ministry. And therefore, I have no backup plan. I have no fallback plan. I just plan to keep on doing for as long as I can this work that the Lord God himself has given to me to do. Amen? (laughs) Amen. You know, I just think that's a very wise and intelligent thing, you know? (laughs) Amen. Well, let's... uh, Go on here and see what else we have to say, what else we find in this uh, sixth chapter of Mark. It says, and he marveled at them because of their unbelief, and then, let's see, and then he went out about the villages in a circuit teaching. Um, in other words, it appears that Jesus went to some of the same places over and over again in a circuit. Uh, some of you Methodists, I'm sure, remember reading about the circuit-writing preachers. They would travel in a circuit preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and apparently that is the same way that Jesus did things. Now, uh, later on, you'll read about Paul in the New Testament. And a lot of what Paul did was in a type of circular ministry. He had a way of going back to some of the same cities where he had preached and taught earlier. This is called doing ministry in a circuit, going to some of the same places over and over again and strengthening what he already accomplished in that town, as well as adding to his accomplishments in that town. Amen, Now, let's uh read on a little bit further here. It says, and then he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two, and gave them the gave them power over unclean spirits, and he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics. And he also said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there until you depart from that place. And whatever and whoever rather will not receive you or hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that the people should repent. That's in verse 12. So we find that Jesus sends the twelve out, two by two, and there's a reason for that. I'll get into that in just a moment. And then also he tells them, take no extra provisions with you. In other words, what Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you guys to be totally dependent on me, I don't want you to. Uh, I don't want you to uh, take all these supplies and become dependent on those supplies. I want you to depend on me day to day for your survival. You know, for the meeting of your needs. And then he says, go out two by two. Now, I've said this on many programs, and I continue to say it now. Uh, It is never a good idea for a preacher to enter into a house alone with the opposite sex, especially when the man of the house is not there. Because to do so puts you in grave danger. You see, that woman, who you probably don't know, She could eventually say all kinds of terrible things about you and terrible things that you did to her. And guess what? Nobody is going to believe you when you say it didn't happen. Because usually when a woman accuses a man of terrible things, usually, unless the evidence suggests otherwise, the woman is the one everybody is going to believe. And so you should protect yourself by carrying... A second person with you now for those of you that are married I would say the most ideal person to go with you is your wife because your wife can certainly verify hopefully that nothing bad happened and that you didn't do anything improper and by doing this you save both your ministry and your marriage if your wife is not available then at least carry a deacon with you or one of the other laymen in the church so that you have some degree of defense. Plus, the other idea, by sending these disciples out two by two, is to promote the idea that ministry is not a one-man crusade. Ministry is not a one-man crusade. You could try as you might, but you're going to find that no man can do everything by himself perpetually. Whatever ministry God has called you to do, chances are that ministry is going to be far more effective, far more successful, if you are willing to enlist the help of other people to assist you in the work that God has called you to do. Now, right now, I've shared with you many times, I'm basically the only employee of Sunshine USA and even I don't get a salary. I do what I do on a strictly volunteer basis. I don't get a single penny for doing this radio broadcast. I'm not on salary. I do it as a volunteer. Any money that comes into this ministry, and I know that from time to time we will ask you for your financial support, but any money that comes into this ministry is money that is put back into the ministry. It does not go into my pockets, and it doesn't go into the pockets of any other staff member because I'm the only staff member, and I don't get paid either. Amen. But I know that as we look ahead to the year 2021 and 2022, I think God has some things in store for this ministry that he wants us to do, but I know that we cannot do it by ourselves. We need financial support from the people of God in order to do the work that God has called us to do. And that is why, and in fact that's the only reason why, we ever take any time out at all to get financial support out of you. Now basically this brings us to the end of our actual Bible study for today. And um, I do want to remind you That if you have any Bible study questions or prayer requests. I would love for you to shoot me an email. And you can share these Bible study questions with me and your prayer requests with me. My email address is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. warrenlandis at yahoo.com. My my, uh, email address, other email address is warrenlandis at gmail.com. That's warrenlandis at gmail.com. And if you prefer to write to me via the old-fashioned way snail mail, my snail mail address is Warren Landis, 3001, Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. That's Warren Landis, 3001, Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, and the zip code is 29609. Now, like I say, before you close that envelope, if you feel led of the Lord to share a few dollars with this ministry, I invite you to do so. In fact, I hope you will do so. Amen. And uh, I can assure you that money will be used exclusively for the teaching of the Word of God and the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Now I'm going to take time to answer uh, some of your questions Um, Here we have a young preacher, and like I say, we have a number of young preachers listening to this program at any given time. He says, Warren, I'm going into the ministry, and um, I'm trying to decide whether or not to opt out of Social Security. Now, uh, let me make a note here. The IRS does make provision... For ministers, during the first two years of their ordination, they can legally opt out of Social Security. They don't have to, but they have that option if they choose to do so. Or, if they choose to do so, they could continue paying Social Security tax. And, of course, that means when they get to the end of their ministry, they have a nice uh, monthly Social Security check that they can look forward to. And so this young minister is asking me to comment on whether or not he should opt out of Social Security. He says, besides, I think I could probably do better for myself than the government will do for me. (laughs) Well, I don't have any question about that. I think uh, most of us, if we were allowed to take the money that we pay into Social Security, and you were to put that into an investment vehicle of your own choosing, you probably would do better <clears throat> than what the government does for you. The problem is most of us don't have the fortitude to do that because every time the slightest emergency goes comes up, guess what? You're going to go into your retirement account. And so that usually doesn't work out too well. Uh, As a result of all this, I urge young ministers today not to opt out of Social Security. Because I think you need to give yourself every available option in retirement. And that would include the option of being able to draw from Social Security retirement. And the only way that's going to happen is for you to stay with Social Security And as a pastor, as an evangelist, you just make sure that you pay the proper amount of Social Security tax on all your earnings. And so that is what I recommend. Do not opt out of Social Security. Um, I heard one time a sad story about this uh, young preacher who opted out of Social Security, and, and by the time he was 65 years old, He started having all kinds of health problems. and Bearing in mind, he opted out of Social Security, so it wasn't possible for him to draw a monthly Social Security retirement check. But meanwhile, he gets sicker and sicker, and pretty soon he's not able to preach. But of course, the church he's pastoring, they love him to death, and so they they decide to continue his salary for as long as they can. But they're also, of course, having to hire another pastor to do the job that the current pastor is no longer able to do. And pretty soon, the church becomes so limited in their finances, they have to tell their former pastor, we would love to continue taking care of you, but we can no longer afford to do that. Now, what happened in the case of that minister, I don't know. He was ending up in a very bad situation, not only him, but also his wife. And so... All those reasons and others, I suggest that as a young minister, you do not opt out of Social Security. Because even though there are things that you could do that are maybe more profitable than what the government does for you, the bottom line is we don't know what the future holds. And we may not have the fortitude to stick with it if we start something. And so, therefore, it is best for everybody involved, if you and I make it a point, to go ahead and just stick with Social Security, and that means, of course, paying those Social Security taxes, and that way you have at least that much going for you in retirement. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, so, that's definitely one question that I wanted to get to today. Um Another person is asking me, uh, what about ordination? Warren, you said you were licensed to preach in 1974 and ordained to preach in 1979. Um, When should I be licensed and ordained, and is this necessary? Well, I think you leave it up to the Lord. I can only tell you how we do things as Southern Baptists. I'm a Southern Baptist, proud of it. I don't believe that we Baptists will have a monopoly in heaven. I believe there will be Christians from several different churches and denominations in heaven, and thank God, (laughs) heaven would be a boring place, amen, if it was just Baptists. Don't you agree? Amen. But here's the thing. (laughs) I can tell you how we Baptists do things, and this is not how all denominations do it. But in Most Southern Baptist churches, the decision to license someone into the ministry or ordain someone into the ministry is made by the local church. One of the things that we Baptists believe very strongly in is the autonomy of the local congregation. The local congregation can choose to ordain someone into the ministry or not. That is their decision. Um, In my case, I asked the Washington Avenue Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina to license me in the ministry in May of 1974. And so I was actually licensed to preach the gospel a couple of weeks before I graduated from high school. And then a few years later, back in 1979, August of 79 to be exact, I asked Washington Avenue Baptist Church to ordain me in the ministry. Now, the truth of the matter is, for the most part, for the most part, uh, legally, there is no, necess- no, no necessity in getting ordained, because most things that you as a preacher do, you could do whether or not you're ordained. The only thing that you could do in some states that you can't do in other states if you are not an ordained minister, is officiate weddings. And even there, in many states now, there is the possibility that you can officiate weddings even if you're not an ordained minister. For example, here in South Carolina, certainly ordained ministers can officiate weddings, but if you're not ordained, you can be, for example, um, a notary public. And as a notary public, you could officiate weddings. Um, now, of course, if you're an ordained minister and a notary public, all the more uh, qualifications you have to do weddings. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't do weddings anymore simply because of my health. Uh, let's say you wanted me to to marry you, uh, say, 30 days from now. I don't do that because I don't know what my health is going to be like 30 days from now. I would hate to wake up on the morning that you're supposed to be married and all of a sudden I'm sick and they have to rush me to the hospital and I can't do your wedding. That would be unfair to you and it would be unfair to your spouse to be and I don't want to put you in that situation. So as a general rule, uh, I don't do weddings anymore uh, as a general rule. Um At the very least, it would be on a case-by-case case basis, but I can't think nowadays of too many situations where I would agree to to do the wedding unless it was a last-minute thing, and, and I felt pretty sure that I might be healthy enough to do it. But since most weddings are planned weeks and months ahead of time, I would be very hesitant to agree to do somebody's wedding. Um, you know as a result of that so there you have it um so hopefully that answers uh that person's question there uh here we have another question about cable tv believe it or not um he said warren my wife and i we just got married and obviously one of the things we're trying to decide as a married couple is should we subscribe to cable tv or not well Here's what I say. I say if you subscribe to cable TV, uh, number one, you need to make sure you can afford it. Um, I know a lot of people that are trying to subscribe to cable TV and they really cannot afford it. They just cannot afford it. And if you find yourself in that situation, I hope that you will seriously consider not doing it because you don't need... order stuff that you can't pay for. But then of course we come to I guess the moral question of should you subscribe to cable? I mean there's a lot of dirty stuff on cable TV but there's some clean stuff as well and there's also Christian programming on cable TV so I can't in all honesty say that cable TV is totally bad. Um, I think you have to Pray about it, see what the Lord would have you do. Uh, Certainly, if you're not strong financially, for that reason alone, I would probably advise you not to do it. But I I can't say that it's wrong to watch a good, clean television show if you can find one. I don't see anything wrong with that. You just have to pray about it. Now, you'll find that when you study the Bible, there's no verse of the Bible that says... Thou shalt not subscribe to cable. (laughs) Why? Because they didn't have cable television back in the day when the Bible was originally written. They didn't even have regular television or radio. And so we have to apply biblical principles. And certainly when it comes to watching objectionable programming, programming that maybe has a lot of profanity, a lot of violence, a, a lot of sinful stuff going on, this is the kind of thing you don't need to waste your time watching. Your time is better spent doing other things that will bring glory to God and even other things that will bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't watch a lot of television. And most of the television that I do watch is usually a matter of watching the news or or listening to uh, other things like religious programming. And there are some clean entertainment shows I don't mind watching. I, I love to watch Andy Griffith and Green Acres and some of the westerns like Gunsmoke and The Rifleman. and You know, shows like that. Shows that were made back in a day and time when most television shows were clean and they had some kind of message to it. But that's not true anymore by and large. So, therefore, you have to pray about it and use your own judgment. Amen. Well, that's just a few of the questions I thought we would uh, take a look at on the program today. And uh, as I think I mentioned on the last program, I want you to pray for my pastor, Lenny Miller. He is um, recuperating uh after having tested positive for uh, COVID-19, I'm not sure that he has any symptoms. If he does, they're probably very mild symptoms. But nonetheless, we need to pray for him. Um, he'll be out of service until at least um, Friday of this week, isolating. And so we do want to pray for him. We need to pray for his wife, Lori. Uh, as I understand it, at the time I'm doing this broadcast, she is not yet um tested positive, but they are realistically aware of the fact that it's more likely than not that she will test positive for COVID-19. And so therefore we need to pray um that the Lord's hand of protection will be upon her and him and that they will be back with us again real soon. He is pastor of the San Susie Church here in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where I'm a member. It's a great church. We have a great pastor, and I don't mind saying so on worldwide radio. Amen. If you want to fly your private jet from Africa to Greenville, South Carolina every Sunday morning to come to San Susie Church, I would be delighted to see you there next time I'm there. Uh, I haven't been myself in recent weeks due to isolating because of the COVID-19 virus and some other health issues that I have, but I hope to be back real soon. But those who are looking for a church home, I cannot recommend a better church home than the San Susie Church here in Greenville, South Carolina. Amen? Amen, I tell you. (laughs) Well, folks, uh, I'm looking at the clock on the wall, and as I look at the clock on the wall, I can tell we're basically out of time. I have just enough time here to say goodbye. God bless you, and guess what? I'll see you next time. On Sunshine USA.